oh, what's in a premise? Hey, it's Jay. And for a while now, this show has explored all different flavors of podcasts, all different pieces of the podcast creation process, the craft of creating great shows. But I think looming largest over all of that stuff is something a lot of shows overlook, which is developing your premise, having a clear, specific reason people would pick you. Because our goal is not to create some stuff. Our goal is to create something that we love and the audience loves. I mean, ideally, we want someone to turn to their friend and say, you got to check out this show. It's my favorite. And favorite does not mean number one in any objective sense. Favorite means their personal preferred pick for a specific reason. So what is your show's specific reason? And does it feel personal? Well, today's guest and our exploration with him will really center on that idea, on taking core frustrations that your audience might feel and turning them into a march towards something better. And oh, by the way, you invite others along that journey towards better. And what a great reason to subscribe. So I hope you continue on this journey as we try to help make your show better. I want to know how to do the things you do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Welcome to Three Clips, an original series from Castos. I'm your host, Jay Conzo. I'm an author, a speaker, the host of the podcast Unthinkable, and of course, the host of this fine program. And on this program, podcasters take us inside their best work a few pieces at a time. Today, we talk to Louis Grignier, who is going to reveal some of the small stuff that made a big difference for his show. Louis launched the show Everyone Hates Marketers in 2017 as a side project while he was working at his first business, Slices Consulting. He continued to make this podcast while working as a marketer for an analytics company called Hotjar. And he actually got the job at Hotjar after interviewing the CEO for his podcast, Everyone Hates Marketers. In September 2020, he quit that job to work for himself again. And he splits his time between the show, his online course, Stand the F Out, and consulting. And Stand the F Out is a really good summary for what we want to do as podcasters, what this episode is going to explore, and what Louis's whole spiel, whole premise is about, both on his podcast and around the show, all the projects he's doing to build his business. On his show, he interviews guests who provide insights for marketers, and they talk about being sick of the marketing BS. The show has recently switched from an interview show with each episode about 50 minutes long to something different, a new format that Louis is now trying, or at least was at the time that we spoke to him, where each episode is about a 20-minute narrated lecture or inspiring speech of sorts about some kind of subject he's hoping to teach, and he often dips into the old clips from his interviews. It's a really interesting approach to evolving his show. All right, so let's get into our conversation with Louis Grenier, host of Everyone Hates Marketers. One of the things that brings me the most joy possibly in the world, which is a little sad. I shouldn't say that. It's probably like kids, the occasional moment in time when the New York Knicks are a good basketball team. And then this third thing. The third thing is when someone finally calls out all of the BS in the marketing world that I came up in. And basically, that's the premise of your show. So this this episode was Destiny, Louis. I'm curious to hear what caused you to even start this podcast as a marketer and call it everyone hates marketers. Like you're, you're sort of putting everyone on blast, so to speak. So like, 
you're also part of that tribe and you're calling it out at the same time. Why start the show? It's it's a funny thing. I wish I could have this master plan from a young age where I masterminded everything and I knew how this podcast would go and I knew that I would create a business out of it. And But it, it's not what happened. Um, it, it I think it stems from my personality, first of all. Um, I can be seen arrogant from some people. I can be seen to be kind of a contrarian on purpose. Um, and it stems from my childhood, I think. It stems from me trying to get attention from my mom in particular, where she wouldn't really be super nice to me in a lot of ways. She wouldn't pay attention to me in the right way, should I say. Uh, she was quite immature emotionally then. And the only way I found to be noticed was to basically try to do everything in my power to do something she wouldn't like so she would pay attention to me. And that, in particular, was the um, contradicting what she was saying to me and doing the opposite. And I, I strongly believe that and living in France, um, which is a kind of a culture of contrarian thoughts uh, a lot, a lot of like people like to do that naturally, S created this kind of personality. But it, it was quite extreme. I believe it or not, it's way less than it used to be. Um, so yeah, I grew up with that all the way in high school where one of my teachers said that I was an intellectual terrorist because I... <laughs> Uh, it was after 9-11, by the way. And so it was oh quite God. hard to take on the chin. And it made me realize then that, yeah, uh, you know, something I mean, needs to be done. But yeah, I used to contradict him a lot and trying to find little flaws in his thinking. And, and he called me an intellectualist for this for this reason. So is that is that sufficient to rally a community? I know like your no. show has done exceptionally well, but um, I feel like a lot of people can rant and complain. And, and, and it doesn't strike me as the stopping point for you. Absolutely not. So, I mean, I, I just wanted to give that context to say that it's not like manufactured. It's not something that I just came up with and made yes. out of pure like innovation where I was like, you know, I did, I, I'm not forcing that at all. Like, this is me, 100%. Um, so I worked in the marketing industry for a while before, before creating that show. And one of the things that pissed me off from almost day one was the shitty growth hacks and the SEO hacks and and all of those stuff that I found so weird, like it was really disconnected with the type of books I was reading then. I, I fell in love with like Seth Godin and his, the way he was explaining stuff. And so I had this idea of marketing. And then when I finally work in it, work in the industry, I realized, whoa, there is a massive disconnect. So I kind of took in on the chin for a few years, to be honest. And it took me a while to kind of develop this thinking. At first, I called it the light side of marketing versus the bad side of the, the dark side of marketing. And I toyed a lot with it. Like, And I, I think I would do your, your people listening, people listening right now, a disservice by saying that I just came up with the term, came up with the, the, the concept and, and voila. Uh, the reason why I take the time to really explain the full context from childhood is because it took me years and years and years and years and years and years, and years to be able to go to that place of ranting perhaps but i think there's more depth to it so yes it's not just ranting and in fairness most of the shows most of the episodes i've done for for the last 4.5 years now are actually not ranting at all uh, they're super useful um and it's just about finding that common enemy finding that enemy that is not the marketers the tongue-in-cheek in the title is not the actual enemy of 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 the concept the enemy is the culture, the system that makes marketers have to do those things. Yes. It's the system that makes them uh, take a shitty product and having to market it. It's the system that creates, like, you know, that have CEOs and founders who don't understand marketing and think it's just advertising and communication. And so that creates a lot of 
a lot of issues for marketers. So I think that's the overall thing. There's way more depth to it. And yes, I do like to run sometimes, but I always try to be helpful and serve to people. Uh, and I, I think I've done that and I will continue to do that. What, as, as a marketer, what have you discovered about being a good podcaster that uh, maybe people take for granted or think it's easy when they look from the outside looking in? Well, um, asking questions, listening, you know, um, listening. Like, it's, it's easy to take. I'm glad you said that. It's easy to take what you do, what I do, what creators do for granted. It's easy because you see it everywhere. And, and it's one of those things when until you do it, you realize, oh, fuck, this is much, much, much more difficult than I thought. It's like what you didn't know, you didn't know. The, the core thing that I've developed through this podcast, and I didn't think about it for long. It's just my personality. I'm, I'm quite empathetic, even if I could be seen arrogant, but I care deeply. Like I'm, um, I'm radically candid, you know, this uh, radical candor idea, like you, you care deeply, but you also challenge directly. And I think this is kind of, it fits me uh, well. So in my, in my show, when I do interviews, I don't have questions. Um, I have one topic and that's it. So I really wing it. And I'm doing it on purpose for myself and for the guests where I don't send you questions in advance. You're going to have to think on your feet because it's a normal conversation. And I'm curious. So if you say something that picks up, picks my attention, we might change the entire course of the interview. So listening, not talking at and not having a series of questions that you have to hit is just so underrated. I love that so much. And I'm going to I'm gonna transition us into the clips because it reminds me, what you just said reminds me of how when we were first planning the show, I was talking to Andrea and our other producer, Cherie, and we were, we were talking about, you know, they're pulling clips and selecting episodes. And I forget if it was Andrea here who's producing this episode who said, do you want to listen to the clips? Like, should we send you the clips ahead of time? And I said, no, just send me the episode because I do want to understand the greater context that's missing from that clip. But when we listen to the actual clip, I want to approach it with sort of fresh ears because I want to put myself in a place of slight naivete, not total yeah. unfamiliarity with your work, but I don't want to have like, I've listened to the clip. I know exactly what I'm going to ask you. I'd like to sense it the way you're going to sense it and the way the audience is going to sense it. Uh, and then trust, which can be scary, but trust that I've done enough interviews and I am just genuinely excited about what you built to ask an opening question and then pursue curiosity from there. And, and, and I feel like it is a little scary but it, to me, yields a richer show. Um, so in light of all that, let's get into the first clip. I do not know what this one will sound like. I do have a little context so the listener isn't lost. Uh, but essentially in this clip, we're pulling it all from Facts Don't Change Minds, Here's What Does. That is the title of the episode. Facts Don't Change Minds, Here's What Does. And Louis, you're setting up the premise behind a new format of the show in this episode. It's been a long running show and now you're going to tweak it. Um, and you talk a little bit about other things that you're offering your audience around the podcast as well. So let's head to that clip. You see, I want to help you radically stand out because I firmly believe it's the only way for you to succeed without marketing bullshit. So moving forward, each episode is going to be around 20 minutes long. Each episode is going to be super practical where I'm going to teach you one way to radically stand out that you can apply to your business today. I'm going to use snippets of past interviews, the lessons I've learned from my own experience and plenty of concrete examples. Oh, and one last thing. 
I'm also turning each of those episodes into the only newsletter focusing on differentiation and positioning. So you can read at your own pace and remember the concept I'm teaching. If it's of interest, I hope you'll sign up today on everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'll also notify you when I launch new stuff and products and you can win rewards for referring other Mavericks to the newsletter, like branded cups and t-shirts and posters and private group coaching and plenty of other nice little surprises. Why re-engineer the show after so many episodes? <laughs> so yeah, after 170 plus interviews, um, it was time for me to to double down on it, to double down on everyone hates marketers, the, the idea, the concept. I've been working for a SaaS company like for four years then I was, I worked really hard to keep those two things running. So I was working full time in a quite intense job and running the podcast. And I, I remember when I joined, I said, I need to keep doing this because I failed one time before doing my business. I had no audience, no credibility, no trust, no network, nothing. This time I promised, promised myself the next time I run a business, I'm going to have people who, who agree with me, like a group of people. Um, so it felt like, honestly, I was sitting on a pile of gold and I start asking myself, hold on, you are, you are forgetting who you've interviewed like 10, 10 episodes ago. You're forgetting pretty much everything. And it felt like that, even though I had incorporated a lot, but I was like, there's no fucking way I'm leaving this untouched. Um, it needs to be refined. I need, I felt the need to really look into those uh, from a different light. So it started like months before I left my job. I re-listened to the episode and I then I did something quite, uh, that I'm very proud of, let me show you. I printed all of the transcript. And again, like that was in my head from day one. I knew, yeah. I knew I would do that. Like I knew I, I, would, I would need a transcript. So I printed out all of the episodes and that's only like 20. Oh my gosh. So it's like, a, it's a, it's a several inch thick bunch of pages with a, with a whole bunch of sticky notes sticking out of yeah, it. That I'm glossy thing, like with all the, all the transcript, right? So I, I reread all of them. I left notes on all of them. I reread all the books I had really connected with. I looked back at my past project and the thing I was very energized by. And I tried to ask myself, if I go on my own, what am I going to sell and to who? Cause I wouldn't just leave and become a marketing consultant. I wouldn't fly. And so I refined and refined all the way to arrive at, okay, I love positioning. I love finding that one golden nugget that leads the entire business. I have a like, yeah. very high level strategic point of view. Like all of those exercises, like so many, like it took me months and months until I arrived at radical differentiation. That was to me the only, the, the thing that was just, that was me. Like trying to find this one, boom, the only category that does that thing like I just love that love that concept so that's when I was like okay you have an interview podcast the biggest challenge I wanted to solve was I'm not being seen as an expert in differentiation and positioning so I remember I did a YouTube live on that when I started which uh, which is like the kernel of a good strategy which is one is the core challenge you want to solve the guiding policy is how you're going to solve it. And then the action plan, the core challenge was I'm not being seen as a radical differentiation expert. What am I going to do? I could have created another podcast, but I, I didn't make this mistake because I knew I made it before. Simplify, simplify, simplify. So I said, why not leaning on all of this great work from others? So I'm just not me talking, leaning on my own experience 
and really kind of learning by writing, uh, researching those episodes, producing them and writing the newsletter that goes with it. And I can tell you, like it's been 12 episodes now solo that I've posted and I'm, I feel much smarter already. It's just a fantastic thing. And I'm not saying I'm not going to go back to interviews, but I just, yeah, I, I, those interviews are evergreen and that was sure. made on, on, on purpose. And yeah, I just couldn't feel, I, I had to go back to them. I had to, to reread and reprocess them. The thing you led with in that answer, I just want to call back to, which was essentially, and you even hinted at this by finding the one thing, radical differentiation, uh, the change seemed to come from a desire to explore something more deeply or to, uh, you know, they talk in Hollywood about IP. And I think that's what's missing, especially in a lot of marketer shows, a lot of B2B shows, but everywhere in a lot of podcasts, what's missing is the IP, that intellectual property, that, uh, that proprietary and pithy concept that's been developed. It's been pressure tested and aerated publicly. And now you're like, it's coming in the show, but I can extend the IP to a book, a newsletter, uh, some merch, or I guess that's more like merchandising, but I can explore the IP in different and new ways and deeper ways. And essentially what you did was create an IP extension, they call it, but within the same show. It's like, I'm going to explore this one specific thing that is kind of littered across your show, it seems, yeah. with a new format in the same feed. Um, and now that you have that one idea of radical differentiation, I'm sure you are, and you even laid it out here in that clip, you're going to extend the exploration to other products, services, and content. So given all that, I'm hoping people listening are nodding like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. If it's that obvious, why don't more <laughs> people do that? It's fear. Uh, it, it really, like, once you understand that, once you see the fear and mindsets, to be pretty much the, the one biggest obstacle for, for marketers and creators, you, it explains a lot. So it's fear. The, the, the normal fear that I faced when I came up with that, like when I was like, okay, differentiation is the core thing I want to do is, okay, what am I going to miss out on? I do customer research. I'm pretty good at strategy. You know, like I, I could miss out on so many and, and uh, I was, you know, I could have been afraid. I was afraid of that this solo episode format might tank and that maybe I'm going to lose all the listeners. But after a while, and I might sound like an old fart, even though I'm only 32, but after a while, once you've been there, done that, once you've done the work for a long, long time, you develop, uh, I don't want to use that term. I'm going to have to use it, a sixth sense. And I know people hate when they hear that. Let me explain it further, just briefly. Sure. There is this school in uh, in Japan called uh, that is that that trains chicken sexers. Those people are their only job is to be able to tell apart a chick uh, from being male or female. The core thing is that from anyone looking at their rear end, they you can't know the difference. The trick is that those chicken sexers don't know why they know whether they are male or female. Huh. They can only teach people by showing them over and over and over again and say, hey, that's a female, that's a male, that's a male, that's a female, that's a female, that's a male. They don't have any idea why they say it, but they have a sense that that's the, that's the, the answer. Same thing happened in World War II where people were spotters of enemy planes versus ally planes. They could, they could tell them apart without telling them, uh, without being able to know how. And that goes back to subconscious, the fact that, you know, around 85 to 95% of things that, that we do day to day are driven by the subconscious. And this is where I'm coming from here. It's very difficult to explain 
But once you do stuff over and over again, you develop a sense of, okay, this is going to tick, this is not. And I just knew that this would work. I just had the feeling this would work. And if it didn't, at least I had the experience to know, hey, I've done so many things before. I've, I fell down. I will stand back up anyway. So I kind of, that's when I was certain I would the, do it. So there's... There's certainly a trade-off, though, right? Like, you had a certain format that was working. I mean, you cited on the show over a million downloads. Um, you know, we, we found you. You said it's only been 12 episodes with the new format. We found you, and you're getting some coverage here because of the older type of episodes. So there are some things that you, you'd built up based on what was working in the past. You're changing that. Certainly, there's some things that you have to be aware either could be lost or actually were. Um, what was what were the trade-offs? What were the cons of doing this change? I stopped leaning on credibility of others that much, even though I do mention them in the, the episodes. Uh, I, I I stopped leaning on the power of, of networking. Like if I interview you on my show, you'll probably promote, promote it somewhere. Um, I kind of stopped leaning on one of my strengths that people recognize, which is I ask good question. Um, but, you know, there's a cheeky thing about this. When you Once you understand users uh, like human psychology you understand scarcity as a as a thing i felt as well that i was giving 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 so much for free for so long and all of those interviews i felt it became less valuable as it as the time came by because people felt like it was like it's like next tuesday another interview and i think this idea of scarcity when it's planned on purpose as a generous act works really well and I knew that I will go back to interviewing. I will, absolutely. But I think I think scarcity and, and saying, hey, I've stopped doing that so that you can desire it more, not in a shady way, but more in a way to say, hey, you need to value that more. It's really tough like to find good guests, interview them. It takes a lot of me. And so, yeah, I'm going to switch it off, but don't worry, I'll come back to interview. The next clip is pulled from the same episode, and uh, it's a little bit later in the episode. And you, you mentioned before you do reference older interviews and pull even some clips from those interviews to support the points you're making or go deeper into them. Um, and so in this clip, it's an excerpt from an interview you did with Seth Godin uh, on an earlier episode. And uh, Seth is telling the story of what happened when Ron Johnson, the inventor of the Apple Store, went to work for the department store. JC Penny. And just for brevity's sake, we cut out a little bit of Seth's rant in the middle. How dare you? But you're going to get the gist of it in this clip. Their whole model was you could get pretty decent stuff for much less money. That was their what they stood for. And over the years, they were always in the mall near Sears. They differentiated themselves from people like Sears by constantly having coupons and percentage sales and saving sales and clearance sales, meaning that shopping at JCPenney was more like a sport. Okay, so with that background, Ron Johnson, who invented the Apple Store, right? Think about the Apple Store, shows up at JCPenney as the most successful retailer of his generation and instantly gets rid of all the sales, all the discounts. He said, We're, this is disrespectful. We're going to give you the dignity of knowing that when you shop at pennies, the price is the price. And you don't have to worry that someone else is getting a better deal. You don't have to worry that the price is going to be cheaper tomorrow. I'm treating you with respect. And within a year, he had destroyed the entire chain. And it will never recover. You mentioned when you talk about the history of JCPenney a bit, you mentioned something interesting. And you, you basically gave the answer to the question, which is, 
going to JCPenney was like a sport, right? And like any sport, only a certain number of people would be interested in it or even play it. And what was the sport you're talking about here? Well, so I believe the worldview of the typical JCPenney shopper, and we know their demographics, their demographics are household income of $20,000 to $50,000 at the bottom end of the American household income scale. We know that these are not people who are showing up at the Met Museum's gala. They are scraping by and they're not what a New Yorker would say is stylish, right? That what you're able to buy there are clothes that aren't particularly edgy. But, and it's a big but, shopping at JCPenney represented a chance to beat the system, to put in the thing you have time to get the thing you don't have, which is status. Louis, you mentioned earlier in our talk here that you weren't seen as an expert around differentiation. And so part of the re-engineering of this show is, is, is an effort to showcase that, that expertise and, and develop that reputation. And I won't say personal brand because I hate that term. I think it falls under everyone hates marketers. It's reputation, damn it. And you don't decide it. People decide it for you based on the service that you offer to them. And so you said expert. I'd actually characterize you as an investigator. And maybe that breeds your expertise. Maybe others dub you an expert in this because you're exploring things. You're asking questions about things. You're saying, eh, that's not sitting right to me. Even when I pointed out your use of tension, you're like, it just feels natural, right? Like my article, working in marketing when you're bothered by suck, it just feels natural for me to like experience marketing and be totally repelled and repulsed by most of it. It's not that I'm trying to construct some sales technique. It's just, that's who I am. And this is who you are. And one thing you did that I think more showrunners should do, or at least try, is you had this great run of content and you laid it all out. I mean, you did it physically with the paper, with the printouts, but you laid out the content and you're like, so I thought I was exploring one thing. Maybe it wasn't as crystallized as I wanted it to be. What do I have here? And you start looking for commonalities and looking for through lines and looking for themes and what lights you up. And then you take all that and you're like, now this is the investigation from here. Whereas most people seem to pick out some general topic and they're like, that's the show forever and ever and ever and ever. And I can't re-engineer and I can't refocus or I never actually pick a focus. And to me, I'd sum that up as you're acting more like an investigator than an expert. And, and I just wondered if that resonated with the way you work. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. I think expert is a shitty word, right? I mean, expertise, because and I think it's... Um... Yeah, it's David C. Baker wrote The Business of Expertise, amongst others, who de described that, the fact it's never it's never-ending thing, expertise. Like, And again, I know I'm repeating myself here, but repetition is key in this in this type of environment, if people remember. Um, things take time, and you need to be able to remove that fear of being seen as someone who doesn't know everything. Uh, and again, like people who try to perceive themselves as experts and build this personal brand as like perfect and whatever, are afraid of being seen as you know not credible. And so they double down on this other thing, which is like I know everything and there's no problems I can't solve. Like you can come up with those in digital agency websites. Well, like exactly, if you remove that fear and if you are of service to the people like you seek to serve, if you're generous, it's your duty to say I don't know everything, and it's your duty to investigate further. So far in this episode, in our conversation today, you've set up the problem 
you know, facts don't change minds. You're talking about what does. You're, you led with the, the negative example or, or through your interview with Seth Godin and his example of how not to reach customers and resonate with them. Um, so we're going to go to our third and final clip because here you're presenting one of several ideas to solve the problem. So I wanted to end on that. Let's take a listen. Step two is then to attract people who already believe what you believe, who have a self story that matches yours. And that's something that so many of us tend to forget. We are so afraid that the market we seek to attract is too small that we desperately want to attract more people and, and to grow it. And so we try desperately to reach everyone who might have the money to buy from us, who might fit the demographic that we are thinking uh, they fit. And by doing so, we try to attract people who don't believe what we believe already. Instead of trying to change people's mind and trying to desperately convince people who don't believe what you believe, find people who already believe what you believe. Everyone Hates Marketers, the podcast and the brand is, is kind of an example of that. I'm not trying to convince people who are practicing you know, marketing bullshit day in, day out to sign up and to change their way. I'm here to talk to you because you already believe that. That's already your worldview. You might have been overly exposed to marketing bullshit. You might be a copywriter working with clients who are telling you to do stuff you, you don't agree with. You've been in business for a long time or maybe it's just part of your culture or your family upbringing or, or your belief system from a young age that you don't want to sell unethically. And so this is the people I'm seeking to serve. And I'm not trying desperately to change other people's mind. To me, that's similar to the mountain peak or the stake in the ground. You're declaring who you're for, you know, what you're for. And in some ways we can kind of sense how you'll think about whether or not it's working. Talk to me about the importance of declaring things like that as publicly as you did, because you're removing some optionality, right? You're saying, I'm not for this. I'm not for the, these people or for this purpose. I'm for this. Um, talk to me about how that moment came together. There's a lot of things here to unpack. First, I want to give examples all the time in those episodes. And I'm trying not to use Apple and Sony and Red Bull all the time because it's just... It's just oh, God. Weird. Remember when every marketer and their mom was citing Red Bull for content yes. marketing? Stop. Oh, my God. It just drives me nuts. So to, to show the real world um, and obviously also to position myself as someone who knows a thing or two about differentiation, it's a good way to reverse engineer and say, hey, you know, this is why you're listening to this. Like, um, The other thing is it's, it's, it's a psychology principle when you, when you, when you do that, when you when you say something and declare it, you attract more people uh, by doing so. Like if, if it's much easier to say I'm not for you, and and if you feel if you feel that disconnects, then then let's let's connect together. Let's 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 do something. Um, you know, it's there's so many levels to this. Um, the other layer is about um, giving people free, the freedom to to choose what they want based on what they believe, instead of saying you must come to me when you have certainty about your belief system, what you believe in, the first principles, you can say that confidently and people love that. Like they love the confidence and, and, and they want to follow that. The last segment doesn't have a clip, but we talk about reinvention and looking ahead on the show. Uh, I'm a firm believer that stagnation plagues any consistent project, no matter how good it is right now. Stagnation is the enemy. But we've been talking about the reinvention of your show all along, so I thought we'd flip this a little bit on its head. And I'd be curious, you know, you look across the landscape of podcasting, and you and I came out of marketing, and so we observe a lot of B2B shows, yet another marketing interview series, right? It's like, oh, great, they're the same parade of experts. Like, But no, 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 no but we actually go deeper. But we actually get... The real examples. No, 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 hold on. But we are raw and unfiltered, which is yeah. code 
for clueless and unplanned. Um, <laughs> well, so you have all these tropes. You have, and like you said, your battle is against trends and culture and the forces that cause marketers to then create shows like that. You're not battling the people who create shows like that, which I just so much uh, align with and I love. So let's talk about reinvention of those types of shows. Someone listening to this is like, yeah, I kind of admit my show or our show is pretty much the standard. There is no radical differentiation. I'd like to get to the point where I'm as proud of our premise and our story for the show as, say, Louis is of, of his. Where do you even begin? You need to come up with a spice, a spicy element that makes your drink if you consider a podcast to be a drink, to, be, to taste like something and so that it stops tasting like water. When people start to, to learn what you do and start expecting the same thing, they learn to hack you, meaning they know that it's going to be yet another podcast show and they'll put it on 2x speed and they'll skip to the part where you actually get the value, which is at the end, because you first have a sponsor that is like horse shit, a software that you've never used that you just mention it because for the sake of it. Then you have an intro of 15 minutes that is boring. They just make to make the guests look good instead of serving the audience that are listening. And then maybe at the end you learn something, um, but there's no challenge. So my advice to you if you're listening to this is, yes, I'm not attacking you. I understand why it's easier to do it this way, is to, to find that spice. So it's the spice is something that is to something. And you need to really dig deep on this. What are our listeners loving about your show? What do you love? What do you hate? And find something that is too aggressive, like everyone has marketers, too in-depth. Uh, like this podcast, to something. It needs to be to something. And then you go all the fucking way in. No holding back. 50%, 80% not going to have 100% minimum all the way in. Remove as much as possible from the show to double down on that thing. Um, and I want to come back to just one thing that you said, because I'm going to do like the host on this, because I, I, that's something I'm practicing, remembering conversation and say, hey, you said that 15 minutes ago. You said, I don't believe in personal brand because um, it's up to the, the customers, the, the audience to decide, right? They, they perceive you. And I would slightly disagree with that, meaning that you can control a whole lot with very good positioning and differentiation. Because myself as a whole, as a human, is not myself online and my brand. And it's done on purpose. I simplify a lot of things. I double down on one topic. I have my profile picture being read. I curse also on purpose now. Uh, not like crazy, like it comes naturally, trust me. But I also know that it's something people remember. And I'm not trying to hide my French accent. That's all now engineered, reverse engineered, because I know people remember. Because your job as a creator, as a marketer, is to do the emotional labor on behalf of your customers so that they can put you in a box very quickly and remember you. And so that's why I would say this is like the subtlety to grasp is that, yes, you can't control what people think. That's their own thing. But you can do a lot of prep to make sure that, yeah, they categorize you properly and they see your concept straight up. A lot of shows will give away like swag. And uh, let's be honest, as someone else in marketing, I'm sure you can appreciate, you don't need more branded crap. It's going to go in the trash. So I'm not going to send you anything, Louis, for coming on the show to say thank you. What I am going to do, however, is place a small donation to an organization called No Kid Hungry as a way of saying thank you. I'm going to place that donation in your honor, in your name. Um, thank you for coming on this show. More importantly, thank you for doing the work you're doing in my and your home base of marketing because... <laughs> Oh my God, the work needs to be done. So thanks for doing it the way you're doing it. And uh, best of luck with the new version of the show. And thanks so much. And 
it's not easy what you've done here. And I really, really appreciate you putting my work like that. I've never experienced something like that before. And it's very, it's very emotional. So yeah, thank you once again. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Andrea Moraskin with original theme music by Cardboard Rocketship. You can learn more about me and my projects, including my free newsletter, my books, and my course for podcasters at jayakunzo.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series, and Castos believes that the point of a podcast is to go deeper with your audience. Maybe you're a marketer who works at a brand and you're trying to make an internal show for your employees. Maybe you're in internal communications at your company. Maybe you're a creator who's trying to go deeper with your audience and your subject matter. That's what a show is for. And we hear these buzzy words all the time about depth and engagement and intimacy, don't we? Well, Castos is actually building software tools for podcasters with depth in mind. Their latest is to help podcasters create private shows. Whether it's internal only, or you want a subscription activity before they get the content, or maybe you're actually charging for your podcast content. Whatever the case, you can go deeper with your audience and also ensure that it's private if that's something you want with these tools. Learn more at castos.com. That's C-A-S-T-O-S.com. All of these links are in your show notes. And now it's time for our bonus segment, where every episode we ask our guests for a podcast they'd recommend that is not one of the big names or famous shows. It's a show they want to show some love for. We call this segment Play It Forward. So it's called The Marketing Meetup, which is a very bad name for a podcast, but it stems from a community that my friend Joe Glover started in the UK a few years ago, very generously created a meetup in one town and then it started to grow and grow and grow and i wanted to give him a shout out because there was a struggle with covid having to change his entire business model from in-person events to webinars and stuff like that but his podcast is like the recordings of those interventions and those webinars in this community is probably the most active genuine community out there in marketing so listen to the podcast and check out what he does at themarketingmeetup.com All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akunzo, and I believe a podcast success is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me, and I'll talk to you every Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.